This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. And we're coming to you straight after Bournemouth and going into the Newcastle game at the weekend. We've had a situation where we could feel reasonably happy that Brentford didn't lose the game on Saturday. Uh, They didn't win either. They didn't score any goals. Neither did the opposition. It was a nil-all draw down at Bournemouth. So I suppose we can look back at that and say... I'd say it's a bit of a positive because for me, if, you, if you're not losing games, you're actually moving forward in this division. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about lots of other things. Like I said to you, we're going to talk about the Bournemouth game. We're going to talk about the Newcastle game coming up. We're going to talk about all sorts of things. My name is Billy Grant. I'm sitting here in the virtual joint with my man, the Matt Allard in the house. How are you, the Allard? I'm very well. I'm very well. Um, I've come in for a, an appearance on the podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm the B team getting called up for an appearance, which is... Um, Good news, and yeah, good to be here today. Uh, it's, not, it's nothing. There's no A team and B team. We're all <laughs> one big team here, the Allard. I think it's all just it's just, just due to the appearance time. Like I was saying, it's a, you know, as you as you know, the kickoff times keep on changing as to when the podcast is actually put together. And I, I've noticed there's been a lack of availability for the for the current kickoff times. But hopefully, we'll be able to get people to have more availability, or we'll have more flexibility in the kickoff times. Because obviously, if the kickoff times are very set, it does cause problems, doesn't it? It does cause problems when it's not your main job, yes. <laughs> it does indeed. But anyway, so listen, we're going to be moving forward. Um, we're looking out for Laney. Laney, he was the what's it, the uh, the committee. You know, we talked about the, uh, the the supreme committee that we were going to form um, after talking about what happened in Qatar. If you listen to the the last podcast that we did, the pre Bournemouth podcast, and the supreme committee, which we we thought we'd have it formed by now, but then Laney's just gone and he's gone off to Poland or something else. I don't know if he's going to join another committee out there or what so uh we've had to stall the formation of the besotted supreme committee but check back with us next week and hopefully it'll be up and running by then yep get on that and um i have thinks about it and yeah get back for next week <laughs> yeah last week what's he talking about i've got no idea what he's talking about but anyway listen um we're gonna just we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna come on to that bournemouth game in a little bit but 
I'm just going to just talk to you. I mean, the Allard. I mean, we've been watching, you know, the Premier League, and there, there seems to be one. There's one player that everyone's talking about at the moment now. Who they're saying that he seems to be quite good. Um, Haaland, who plays for Manchester City now. I know everybody's talking about him, so it's probably a bit of a bit of a dry and boring subject. But you've got a theory on Haaland, haven't you? Well, yeah, I have. Yeah, do you, you you watch the boys, Bill? I do you watch the boys. Watch the boys. It's, on Amazon, it's, yeah. on, uh, it's on. Um, what's it, Amazon Prime, isn't it? It's yes, a superhero um, series. Actually, it's it's a bit gory, but it's actually it's actually very good. So it's taken over my watching for the past few months as well. My brother told me about it when I went out to Spain a few months ago, and I've sat down there and I've watched the first series. I'm in the middle of the second series, and my, my son's seen them all. He thinks it's brilliant. He's got posters up in his room and everything like that. But yeah, so, so what's the boys' yeah. link with Harlan then? Well, he's a soup, isn't he? Which is so. so there's seven. There's a team of seven superheroes um, in 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 the boys. Um, that they are mostly flawed, um, but and Harland isn't flawed. But but he is a soup, isn't he? That's exactly what he is. He's he's come straight out of that series. If there was like a centre forward footballer in the boys as part of the you know the seven, it would be it would be Harland. Yeah, I mean, so and again, this is because literally he doesn't seem to he, he seems to be able to do everything. You know, what I'm saying yeah. he, he can run, he can pass, he can shoot. He, you know, he, 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 he does everything. Like you know, he's he's almost like if you watch the boys, Homelander Part Two. Is he? Yeah, and there's, and there's collateral damage all over the pitch. <laughs> That's right. So again, you have to check out. Then everyone's having. Oh, I have to go and check out this boys now. But like I said, you, um, we were just talking about it off here, saying what sort of. It, what kind of character is it? I mean, you, you bring him into a side, you know, Harlan into, you know, everyone says, oh, if he goes into any team, you know, that team will just be turned on its head. But I think also, I think he has to go into a particular type of team. He's got to go into a team that is creating chances, you know. So if you put Harlan into Brighton, he will transform that team. If you put Harlan into, you know, probably even Leeds United, he will transform that team. These are teams that create chances. If he came into Brentford, you know, he would he would transform that team. If he goes into, I think it's probably, I think Nottingham Forest, I think at the bottom now and Bournemouth are the teams that are not creating big opportunities at the moment now. Will Harlan be able to go in and, and change that team if they're actually not creating the opportunities for him to do what he's going to do? You know, you know he might take them up from sort of kind of 20th place to sort of 14th or 15th place but he's not going to make the massive change probably that he might do with other teams that are actually creating stuff so that's the superhero value of him he's, he's like the icing on the cake isn't he you know uh, at man city and that man city have managed to win the win the title win everything apart from the champions league without a center forward and now they've got a center forward um so they're they were scary enough as it is now they're double scary and um and and it's right he, he I think he would fit into any team because he's going to give any team goals. But just putting him as the icing on the cake of that City team is pretty scary. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting because, you know, you're talking about Manchester City. We talk about all these other teams um, in the league. The question came up, especially after we played Bournemouth. And we're going to talk about the Bournemouth game in a little bit, you know. Um, and Brentford, ourselves, who we we believe that we're doing quite well. But the question is, are there, are there three worse teams than us in the league at the moment do you think the Allard because you know we're you know we're quite a few games in now we're a sort of kind of you know early October and even at this stage early October last season we kind of had a real feel for last season we knew how Norwich City were doing we knew how kind of all the other teams were doing around us we knew how Watford were doing and uh, and we had a real feel as to how the kind of bottom of the league was, was, was going to form and we felt actually I remember we played West Ham I think it was last weekend 
is we played West Ham and then we beat West Ham. So we came out of that feeling very comfortable in ourselves, thinking, cool, we're not anywhere near the relegation zone at this moment in time. We feel quite good. So I'm just wondering, do you get a same feel about who are the three worst teams than us in the league at the moment now? Um, I... I would always have said Bournemouth were gonna were gonna struggle this season. Um, there's a bit of a revision, maybe having seen them on Saturday, um, because they do look organised. And I guess we'll talk about that in more in more depth. Uh, you kind of feel that Forest could fall apart depending on what they do next um, with 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 Steve Cooper. So, and then and then, but is there anyone else? I mean, I last year, although Burnley taunted us, you kind of knew Burnley were going to be in trouble, you know, as well as as well as. A, the other two teams have got relegated. And I think by this point, you could kind of see Norwich were going down um, and Watford were going to have a long season. But it, it's difficult this season, like with Leicester being near the bottom, but I don't think Leicester are going to get relegated. I, I watched them Monday and as long as they don't get like a string of injuries, they've just got too many good players, really. So, yeah, it, it's still an interesting discussion, um, finding three worst teams or or three teams, yeah, three teams that are worse than us, which is ultimately what we're saying, isn't it? Mm. And, and and coming back to this discussion, um, I mean, 5.38, we don't normally go to 5.38 this early because they, uh, they're the ones that do the stats predictions, a uh, very well-renowned company for doing that. Um, and just to show you where they've got, they've got Nottingham Forest predicted as bottom of the league, 71% chance of relegation, they say at the moment. Now they're going to finish on 53.8 points. I don't know if they're going to get 8.8 .8 points, but that's what they predict. Actually, no, no, no 60, is it 53.8? Oh, no, that's the SPI. So 29 points, sorry, as I said, they're going to get. And then there's a big gap between them and then the, the second bottom of the league, which is Bournemouth, who they predict is uh, going to finish with 35 points, second bottom of the league. They said they're 48% chance of getting relegated. So it's a 50-50 chance of Bournemouth getting relegated. Then the third bottom, interestingly, is Southampton, which is going to finish on 40 points, they predict, with 29% chance of relegation. But to be fair, between Southampton, Wolves, the F word, which is Fulham, Leicester, um, it's 29, 28, 24 and 21% at the moment and even Leeds United are below that at 19%, Everton then 17% and you've got Crystal Palace at 12%, West Ham 10%, we are 8% chance of relegation or is it 9% chance of relegation at the moment now. So you kind of see how things pan out. Now, the reason why I say you've got to be careful about this, I remember that they had Nottingham Forest at a very low chance of promotion last season. Um, when it came to Christmas time, I think it was it was less than ten percent. I think it was, and obviously they turned that on its head. So things can turn on its head, but obviously the team has to turn on its head. Things have to be, you know, you know, things have to change dramatically. And so for Nottingham Forest, they're in a bit of a crux moment at the now. I know that Cooper isn't a very uh, he's not massively liked within the Brentford camp, you know, whether or not that's Thomas Frank himself, you know, because obviously there's the bit of the beef after the playoff semi-final, not the second, not the first, the, the last playoff final uh, at Wembley, but the previous one when we played them in the semi-final, there was a bit of beef between Cooper and Frank. And then after that, there's a big beef between Swansea and Brentford for some ridiculous reasons. I don't know why. So, and then he's moved on to Forest, and that kind of has carried on to Forest as well, where a lot of people don't particularly want Forest to do well because they don't like Cooper. I personally, I like, I've got Forest mates and I, 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 I like them and I think they should do all right. I don't think they've done the right thing buying 3,422 players, but that's a different story altogether. But um, Nottingham Forest are in a crux moment at the moment now, aren't they, Dialod? Yeah, definitely. It'll, it, what happens next? Do they do they get rid of Cooper? Um, I think personally, uh, for Forest, that would be a bad thing to do. Um, but but if you also look at you know the, the, the socials and stuff, most of the Forest fans 
think that Cooper's not good enough for the for the Premier League. So yeah, it's 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 fascinating, isn't it? I I think um, is, is are people talking about Benitez to go into Forest. Um, so it, who knows? It's 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 sort of unraveling there at the moment. They didn't look great on Monday against Leicester. They looked bad at the back, and they didn't look great up front either. And yet they've got this selection of players that everybody says, well, you should be able to gel them together into a team. But life ain't that simple. You don't, you know, you don't, you can't just go out and buy random players. And, and in my head, I don't think Cooper's probably identified a load of players and said, bring them in, I'll sort it out. I suspect he's, he's sort of been lumbered with a load of players and he's trying to sort it out. That's interesting. And it's interesting you say that as well, because obviously, you know, I mean, we had a feature last season called the Spreadsheet Winker, which is Will also the Spreadsheet Winker. He's featured a lot less on the uh, the podcast this year, only mainly because he's studying. He's studying, he's teaching, he's doing all sorts of stuff and uh, and, 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 and stuff. Like that. But, but what the reason why I say that is quite interesting is that the Spreadsheet Winker actually came from Nottingham Forest. Okay, and uh, it came from Nottingham Forest because when we were in the Premier League and in the Championship, the Forest fans used to call us spreadsheet winkers because when we used to play them, we'd oh not we, but it's not us as besotted, but you know fans would actually say to them how you know our XG would be quite a lot higher than theirs because the way that they played their football, they were quite not so conservative, but they used to basically sit quite deep and then hit players on the break and maybe score goals from sort of kind of 25, 30 yards at times, which were very low um, quality chances, but really really good goals. So so we turn around to them and say, ah, oh, yeah, you know, some fans were saying we're not better than you. So they used to call the Brentford fans spreadsheet winkers. And this went on for ages and ages and ages until we got promoted. And um, and, and then the spreadsheet winkers were in the Premier League and Nottingham Forest remained in the Championship. Now that they've been promoted now, but uh, a lot of fans or Nottingham Forest fans are very, very obviously nervous about, you know, why they've signed so many players and they're nervous about certain amount of things. And there's this note that's gone out, which is educating the ignorant Nottingham Forest transfer activity. And there's this note, I'm not sure if it's been sent out by the, the executives at Forest or somebody else who's trying to educate people, but they've said, you know, why have we signed so many players? You know, out of the 26 first team players from last season, only 11 remain. And that number is expected to decrease. And this is the reason why they've had to buy 16 new players to replace the 15 who are departed so far. You know, how can they afford it? You know, they said um, they've spent 137 million so far, including add-ons. They haven't talked about the wages, but we won't talk about that. But promotion to the Premier League is estimated to be worth 170 million, which can rise to 300 million. That's how we can afford it. So they've done the old explain. But then the interesting one is that um, they're explaining where people are saying, Forest are just buying anyone. I said quite the opposite, actually. The methodical recruitment strategy at Forest sees data analytics used to identify potential suitors, similar to how Brentford do things. The players must be compatible within the system. So all of a sudden, Forest are actually putting their hands up and calling them and turning into spreadsheet winkers, like you know what I'm saying. So it, it happens to us all, doesn't it, the Allard? Yeah, the thing is, though, it takes a bit of practice to get it right. And um, who knows if, if they've got it right. I don't even know. What is their system? Do they, do they, have, a, do they have a standard system? Um, yeah. I, that, they, they look like they need somebody. They need a way to get literally. The, the, they essentially need to get the centre of the team working. A centre forward, a centre back, centre midfield, and just somehow build from that. But um, it just, yeah, it, it, it looks like a struggle at the moment for them. It does. I mean, the question I'm going to ask, and listen, yeah. I mean, we're going to come back to the boys again. I mean, they've sent <laughs> £137 million. Pounds. 
and, and, and wages on top, which I said to you, they, they're not even talking about that because that's a, that's a, a whole heap of more money, Premier League money as well. Because they would have, um, you, I mean, Lingard ain't going to be going to Nottingham Forest for like five grand a week. You know that, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. So they've, they've been spending a whole heap of money. But surely, if they've got that much money, they should be able to pull in another soup because there must be another soup out there somewhere, isn't there? Yeah, there must be. Um, I'm trying to think where, um, but yeah. If they if they go out there and find a soup, they to be honest, they are about as effective at the moment as as the team of soups, you know, in the boys, aren't they? I mean, they are like that. You could almost say they they're just a group of individuals that aren't very good at playing together as a team. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So now you're going to have to go off and watch the boys as well, which is a very good series. It's a very interesting series. And Nottingham Forest, hopefully, if they can find their soup, hopefully they won't find a soup in the next transfer window because that, if that does, that's going to turn itself in its head because at the moment we, we have a feeling that one of those relegation places has been taken up already, but maybe a soup might come in. Maybe a soup terrorist, Steve, might come in and actually turn it on its head. Absolutely, yeah. Soup terrorist, um, yeah, it could be dangerous, but um, you never know. It could, it, it might work. That's right. Anyway, listen, we got to, we got, we got to crack on. We got to talk about the match at the weekend. We're going to talk about the Bournemouth game after this little break. Saturday, Bournemouth, no goals. What a terrible game that was. It was, it was really quite drab. And listen, maybe. You know, I've said I've started off and I've gone in this real negative about the game. But maybe the thing is that we've been served up with such great football. We've seen so many goals at the beginning of the season. All of a sudden, if something is just not quite to our liking, we immediately go on to a negative about it. We're not used to seeing this type of football. We're not used to seeing Brentford not scoring any goals. We're not seeing used to people not scoring against us either. It was a bit of a strange one, wasn't it, on Saturday, the Allard? Yeah, it was. It was... Um, it, I- I think after about 20 minutes, you kind of worked out this was how it was going to play out. It didn't feel like anybody was really creating chances, certainly not big chances. Um, Bournemouth were really quite effective, to be honest. Um, they're well, they seem to be well drilled. Um, the players, you felt, knew what they were doing. Uh, that's the difference, you know, between, say, Bournemouth and, and, and what, what you see with Forest as it stands at the moment. It, I thought, I mean, the reality is they're probably a very, very good championship side that are playing in the Premier League, um, but they're well drilled. They haven't done what Forest have done. They haven't gone out there, bought loads of players that don't understand the system. And, you you know, we talk about you need a system, really, um, it, you, and buy for the system. And Bournemouth have got a system, It's and it, and it works pretty good. Um, they're not going to be the easiest team to, to beat this year. Maybe they're on a bit of a sort of new manager bounce at the moment like Burnley had towards the end of last season so maybe that changes maybe they lose a game and then they try and change things but but to be honest they keep doing what they're doing um, they'll pick up points here and there I don't know if it'll be enough but they will yeah I mean and just going back to this game from, from an XG yeah. perspective um, Brentford 1.18 compared to Bournemouth 0.79 we both kind of had the sort of similar type chances actually inside the area you know um, Bournemouth had one big chance from Jefferson Lerma and 51 minutes that was about a 4 in 10 possibility of going to the back of the net and then we had Ivan Tony 
who had a chance on 74 minutes, which was about another 4 in 10 chance of going into the back of the net as well. We also had a, another relatively large chance, which was Ivan Tony again on 81 minutes, which was about a, a 2 in 10 chance of going in the back of the net um, there as well, which, uh, which, 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 which obviously didn't happen. And they also had one on the edge of the area as well, which is Jefferson Lerma, which was a, a 1 in 10, which was in, um, which, which is injury time, you know, which we'll go into in a minute. So, Overall, it's kind of like we we, we, we cancelled ourselves out to a certain extent. Uh, Brentford fans would probably turn around and say that we felt that we could have or should have won the game. Bournemouth had one particular plan, which was basically not to allow us to score. They 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 kept it very very tight, but um, it, and we found it hard to break them down. Um, and then there's you know there's a few questions sort of going on around about you know. Um, whether or not we are suffering is that the right word I don't know from maybe the lack of having a, a Norgard in the midfield I don't know if you had any thoughts on that the Allard yeah so let if we just go back the first thing to say is it was one of those games that was either going to be won by a bit of magic or by a bad referee decision um, or maybe you know maybe a good referee decision but something like a penalty or whatever I think um, the bit of magic was the Tony chance wasn't it which started off with the Jensen pass then it gets knocked through to Tony and Tony comes through and that was a bit that would have been one of the best goals of the season if that if that had gone in it would have been an, an incredible um, team goal um, the penalty stuff is we'll I'm sure we'll get to um, were they weren't they penalties so so there is all that sort of thing going on and then yeah it, it you just sort of think um, um are they, would we have lost that game last season? I think these are the, these are the key questions that we've been asking all season so far, and 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 this is where you start looking at how have Brentford advanced, how much have we advanced from last season? Yes, there are certain games that we would have lost last season, which we you know which we end up drawing. You know, Leicester is a prime example. You know, of a game that you know last season you know it was out the window, we would have lost it. But this season is different, so there is a certain resilience to our side. And uh, and this this season again against Bournemouth, you know, okay, again we'll talk about the VAR in a bit, but there are a few you know, heart and mouth moments that we did have, which probably would have got, have gone our way, not because they should have gone our way, but sometimes those those decisions could have gone the other way very, very easily. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've, we've got a couple of things, you know, in our favour this time. Just um, come back to the midfield. Yeah. Yeah, the midfield. So the midfield. So, um, yeah, we do miss Norgard. I, I think in my head, Yanel just fits in there and everything should be cool and fine. I'm not sure that's quite the way the, um, the management see it because I think with Norgard, I reckon you may well play De Silva and Jensen as your free midfield. I think with Jan out, um, there's more of a, we should play Baptiste. Um, maybe, you know, maybe Frank comes into the next game um, or something like that. I, I, I think the balancing, I think they're more confident with Norgard to, to go with two really creative players and maybe less so when it's Jan out. Certainly in the games where you should be sort of, I mean, you think about Bournemouth, I'm sort of thinking we should be controlling the game get the creative players into midfield. Just talking about players and um, how players are playing this game. I mean, you know, Bournemouth are coming at us. I mean, the player that, I, that stood out for me immediately and I thought he's brilliant. And he also won the besotted Global Man of the Match, which is voted by by all our global posse, our little social media network we've got out there and, 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 and other people who, who managed to vote that as well, which was Ben Mee. And I thought he's had a great game. And interestingly, it's actually his third Global Man of the Match that he's had and the second one in a row. He's turning out to be a revelation, particularly 
as a as a free transfer and we talked about this while we touched on it before about you know because Ben Lee's obviously stepped in because we've got injuries and we've got you know our defense is a little bit all over the place um you know with regards players coming in and out you know but we've now got um Ethan Pinnock who's looks like he's coming back from injury we've seen him on the training ground I think he played a I think he played a he might have played a friendly I think he played a B team match maybe or something I think I'm sure we played a match recently as well which is an, an, an announcement that you know, he is coming back into the scene. I know Pontus went off injured in this game, which means that maybe there's a little bit of flexibility there for other players to come through. However, Ben Mee, he seems like he's a player that you know, we can't we can't leave him out the side if we've um if we've got a full strength squad, can we? He's solid, isn't he? I mean, you know, he's the man that puts his you know, puts his body on the line, he, he wins the tackles that he needs to win, he wins the headers he needs to win. Um he doesn't shirk. He's 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 a proper classic centre-back, maybe not the sort of, I suppose Pontus is, is of a similar mould, but it's not not really the sort of centre-backs we've seen at Brentford in the last five or six years. Um, so he's just taken to it and and who knows if he hadn't, if we hadn't assigned him where we'd be, because to be honest, we'd have, we'd have been struggling, I think. I think we'd have had to have kept Mads Beck um, and not send him out on loan, or we'd have had to have found somebody else to play on the left with Pinnock being out. Um, I just think he was a really, really astute signing. And, um, albeit it didn't, what was his chance? Do, 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 do you know what? Didn't he have a header that he could have scored, I think? I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just look, because there's lots of, lots, lots of little, little, lots, lots of little ones. Lots yeah, of maybe little, wasn't as lots, good a chance as I thought. Yeah, um, lots of tiny little sort of minus sort of kind of 10, you know, Damsgaard had one at three minutes which was 6%. Janssen had one on 12 minutes which was 7%. You yeah, know, okay. Ivan Tony had another one which is small. So I'm, 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 I'm struggling. Yeah, maybe yeah. not, maybe not, maybe yeah. not, maybe not. Yeah. I, I, I thought there was something from a corner or something. And, and, and I think we sort of, and, and I'd say we miss Pinnock at the corners. I'd say that's the one bit where Ben Mee doesn't quite um, uh, do everything else that we need him to do. I think Pinnock at corners is, is, is really strong. It'll be really interesting with Pinnock being fit. And I think, I don't think Pontus is playing this weekend, if I remember what I've read recently. I no. think the injury is still problematic. Yes. Um, I, I think that might almost solve a selection issue coming mm. up yeah. um, as to whether who 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 do you drop to get Pinnock back in because I do think you put you put Pinnock back in yeah and talking about that Ben Mee did have a chance on 18 minutes which is a five percent so five in a hundred yeah. okay. would have gone and yeah. in, in so it wasn't a particularly um you know it wasn't 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 a big chance but it was a chance as he had it was straight in front of the goal as well probably roughly on the 18 yard box as well so uh which is all good but listen um we talked a lot about this game what we're going to do is going to go back to the terraces listen to what the fans had to say immediately after the game against Bournemouth. In the end, I'll take the point. Um, it wasn't a game of any clear-cut chances. I can't see it being first on match of the day tonight. Brentford, clearly the, the superior team in terms of you know possession, particularly in the first half. Um, however, the only chance we really had were like kind of block shots in the box. Tony was unlucky with a couple. 60 minutes, I got very excited after quite a turgid first half when uh, Thomas made some really good subs. Um, but well, I thought we'd go more attacking then. It didn't seem to happen. Bournemouth very happy to sit back in uh, two banks of four and just mop up uh, everything we threw at them. So, yeah, in the end, disappointing game, but we'll take a point. Yeah, I thought it was quite flat, to be honest with you. I thought both teams like didn't have anything going forward, really. Um, they had sort of five behind the ball and then had the other three in front. So, for us to try and penetrate them was quite hard. Um, I thought we could have been a bit better going forward, but we just seemed to be quite slow going out from the back. Um, not really a Brentford performance, to be honest with you. Um, 
it was a bit bizarre at the end, well, we obviously with a handball situation, the ref blowing up. Um, we had a couple of chances, Tony's a bit close, but you know, in all odds, it was quite a flat game, to be honest with you. It was just frustrating today. We were the better team by far. Did anybody create anything of quality? Probably not. Tip my hat to the referee in the first half. He's gone to the screen. He's declined their appeal for the penalty. So that, uh, well done there. But not much between the teams. Stood his, the referee stood his ground again at the end when there could have been something there. But, yeah, just a disappointing game. And it's one that you feel that's got away. But did we create anything in the final third? Probably not. And I think... Begrudgingly, fair result. Certainly set himself up not to lose, and they're very organised, but not really push him out. I think they, they might need to change their tactics to get some more points. But we had a go. I think we got caught at the end, whether we try and win it or whether we hang on to the point and nearly the the, the, um, the Fulham again and throw it away by um, trying too hard and being a bit clumsy. But I thought overall we were fairly solid, didn't create too much. Um, love to see the Tony chance again that I thought was going to burst the back of the net. Um, and, and going over and obviously the penalty as well we'll see at the end whether that was handball or not I mean they seem pretty adamant it was uh, well, obviously it wasn't because it wasn't given the VAR probably just said to him look there's nothing in that so just blow the whistle so that's fine but I think you got both VAR decisions would have been right anyway so yeah but we didn't do enough to win that game we never looked like winning I don't think they ever looked like winning that was as, as nil-nil as you could ever hope for I thought three points were there for the taking without doubt um, Bournemouth didn't offer much lumped it forward a bit but we missed Ericsson today that was the difference with someone with creativity someone who can change the game with a, a, a ball that you're not expecting you know sticking my glass half full head on it's a point if VAR had gone against us you got a question whether we would have come back into that game uh, it wasn't it wasn't clicking in terms of like the final pass and it wasn't clicking in terms of us getting really in behind and hurting them Tony had a had a shot which 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 you know could have hit the back of the net he, he fired that wide that's probably as close as we got apart from the eye header in the first half um, yeah we, 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 we go back to London not a, not a great distance back with a point under our arms and we regroup and we look forward to going up for a big weekend up in Newcastle next weekend So there you have it the fans straight after the match down at Dean Court Bournemouth used to go there so many times it's so weird sort of playing them in the Premier League now you know on that same level um, before it used to be Division 3 but now it's Premier League playing them and Dean Court like I said to you and, and just talking about that game strengths and the weaknesses I mean Bournemouth strengths according to who scored there were no significant strengths but they were poor at finishing and for Brentford, uh, the one thing we were good at is we stole the ball often from the opposition, but we were also poor at finishing. Uh, Bournemouth played with width, you know, attacked down the, the right-hand side and they favoured crossing the ball, whereas we attacked down the right-hand side as well and we dominated possession. Um, so, you know, you could see from that, you know, we, yes, we were in the game, but we didn't actually, you know, smash them to pieces. Like, you know, Ben Mee, you know, was a top boy, you know, Neto for Bournemouth, top boy as well. And then Marcus um, Sensi as well. Rico Henry and Chris Meppham also got good props as well on the ratings front. But um, some Bournemouth, it's almost like one of those games that we need to, we need to just to put to bed, don't we? Yeah, I, I, I think you can beat yourself up because I think you can sort of say, well, you know, Bournemouth are, are going to get relegated. Um, and I don't know if that is the case, but I think, I think that's the way people view it. They probably view them as the weakest team in the league, but they've done all right this season. Um, they've got some points, you know, in the bag and um, they have a bit more confidence probably than some other teams 
could have had in a similar position. Say the, you know, some, some of the other recently promoted teams who who might struggle at the beginning of the season. So they're doing all right. I don't think you should beat yourself up too much about it. I think it, when it comes down to it, we didn't create enough. I mean that that was it. You know, they Bournemouth didn't create a whole lot. We kept a clean sheet. We didn't create much at all. We didn't really create any of those big sort of chances, you know, any of the point fours, the point fives, um, nothing like that. And um, so I, I don't think you should beat yourself up too much, is my sort of thinking. OK, and, and just coming back to me, you talk about creating opportunities and scoring goals. I mean, Ivan Tony had six shots during that match. We talked about the, the, the big chance that he had, but we haven't talked about it in, in context of what's been going on in around him. So obviously he went off with England. He went off and, 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 and was part of, well, he's part of the squad. Um, he wasn't part of the squad against Italy, away to Italy, but he was a part of the squad at home to Germany, which England ended up drawing 3 or 2 uh, He didn't play in that game. Now, do you think that that may have affected Ivan Tony, him being part of it, but not actually playing? And then he's come back and, you know, what do you think is going through his head? Do you think there may be frustration? Do you think he's just put it aside? Do you think it's affected his game here at all? I think it depends what conversation he had with Gareth Southgate when he got, you know, his initial conversation with him. I mean, if his initial conversation was, look, I'll be honest with you, you you're not going to play um, in either of these two games unless we have a dramatic number of injuries. Um, but I want you to come along. I want you to train with the side, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then I think he'd probably come back and, and he just cracks on. If the conversation is, 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 is a different one or there's no conversation and you sort of, go along thinking you're going to be given an opportunity to prove yourselves um, maybe he does feel a bit hard done by um, does it really affect his that depends what kind of guy Ivan Tony is he's, he's got a lot of self-confidence hasn't he so hopefully it wouldn't it wouldn't affect him too much um, I think if you look at the sort of the records I think I don't think this is unusual for Southgate to put people into a squad and not play them you just hope that you know that conversation happens at the beginning to explain why he's there and what he's there for and I'm, I'm, for me, I'm hoping the conversation wasn't, oh, Ivan, mate, you're a really good player, but you, you really need to move to like a bigger club like Arsenal or West Ham or Tottenham or Manchester City, something like that. That's the conversation that we don't want, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But isn't but that conversation is probably a little bit out of his control, a little bit out of his control. If it does, if, it, if you do have that conversation, it needs one of those clubs to think that they could fit Ivan Tony into their into their team. Um, I don't know how many how many do or will. Let's check out JB to see what facts and funk he's got in the bag. Are you ready for this? I told you it was coming. Who? JB. And he's ready to stock it to you one time. Uh, get it. Hello, Jonathan Birchall here again. Although a 0-0 draw wasn't everyone's desired result on Saturday, it was our second clean sheet of the season and our 11th in the Premier League. But it was more than a year ago since our last one away from home. Then it was at Wolves on the 18th of September 2021. For David Rare, it was his 42nd in league games for us, which ranks as the 8th highest in our league history. In the last 50 years, there have only been more clean sheets kept by Len Bond with 46 and Kevin Dearden with 73. Jerry Cakebread has had the most, with 92 during the 50s and 60s. Saturday also saw us win 8 corners during the game. Most we've had this season and equal with the number awarded in the match against Manchester United. The most we had last season was 12 during the home game with Spurs, which also ended 0-0. Looking ahead to Saturday, and it's our 8th visit to Newcastle. We've previously visited for 5 league games and 2 in the Cups. We've never kept a clean sheet in any of them, 
and those matches have in fact seen a total of 34 goals scored, at an average of just under 5 per game. So back-to-back nil-nils is probably unlikely. Let's move on. We're going to go off. We're going to have another little drink. I know we were talking about tea last week. You know, we had lots and lots of tea. I mean, I know the pound came crashing down, but I think obviously what's happened now, they had to listen to the podcast. I think the Supreme Committee had a word as well. And all of a sudden, the pound's gone crashing back up again. So the price of tea's come down. So I've actually managed to duck into all sorts of tea because uh, it's now affordable again. Um, I'm going to pop off, get myself a cup of tea. And we're going to... Are you going to get a cup of tea as well, the Yellard? Yeah, I'm going to have a cup of tea, yes. Tea yes. for two, once again. Then. tea, yeah. That's right. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Newcastle. So Saturday, we're going up to Newcastle and very excited too. We are going back to Newcastle. We've sold out our allocation, again, which I think is pretty impressive. I mean, I know you might say, oh, yes, we're Premier League, you should sell out every game, but it is a long way away Newcastle there are train strikes on the day so people are struggling to get up there so they're basically going by you know by train by car by plane we've got one of our crew he's flying over to Ireland then he's flying in somewhere else and then he's coming down you know there's all sorts going on to make sure that they can get to that match so it's a good one and Newcastle is always a great away day I know it may be a little bit cliche they say oh yeah Newcastle you know it's you know it is a particular but it, it, the reason why it's brilliant is just because the the fans up there they're so friendly that the place is really friendly that the ground is right in the middle of the city like literally it's like having a ground in Leicester Square you know what I'm saying and then it's just got loads of bars around that they go to and they're all open to opposition fans and they're just really friendly and it's a, it's a great place to go for a weekend so I'm be, I'll be up there on Friday with the Laney missing hopefully the train strikes on Friday back on the Sunday hopefully missing the train strikes back on Sunday and we're going up there and fingers crossed we're going to have ourselves a right laugh but coming back to Newcastle Newcastle are very different proposition this season than when we met them last season which was a little bit annoying because I think when we met them last season Eddie Howe you know had kind of just started to get his uh, his he started to get a grip on things didn't he when we played him and we ended up playing Newcastle and I mean the game I mean I had a brilliant weekend last weekend with my whole family my wife and kids everyone like that brilliant weekend but that was topped off by a mad bonkers real game it was a fantastic game um it was heart and mouth moments you know we 3000 beast fans and it was just great and in the end we didn't lose um but we saw some great football we saw joe linton in the flesh for the first time who we were like quite in awe with him and uh it was it was a, it was it was it was something but um and and i think even if anything some beast fans were a bit disappointed we didn't get the three points because at that time newcastle were were they were dead and buried a lot of people thought they thought they were going to get relegated but they just turned it around um but they're a different proposition this season aren't they the lot yeah i mean i was that eddie house first game or one of his first games i think i think um, it was yeah and and you know they've got two things haven't they i mean they've got money and and there's there's obviously other discussions about where that money comes from um but if you look at it from sort of a football point of view rather than a you know another another point of view which which is less savory um they they've got a, they've got the money and they've got a good manager i mean i just think eddie howe is a good manager i think he's he's done a great job there so far they they're not they haven't gone massive on it they're um they're not doing what say Forrest did it feels like they're building a team they've got a spine um they've got some fantastic players you know your Sam Maximan obviously and your Joel Linton that or Joel Linton that was already there um you know and then and then and then Trippier comes in and he's you know he's he's decent isn't he then Amiron looks decent um 
You've got Wilson, who's albeit he's injured quite a lot. But then when he's when he's injured, they've gone out and they've got, is it Isaac, the Swedish centre forward who impressed in the Euros has come in. Um, I, yeah, they're, they're a good side. They're getting better. Um, they're going to be a challenge this weekend for sure. And they're very different proposition to the side we saw under Steve Bruce, which seems remarkable that, um, I don't know, is this time last year or maybe a bit longer than a year ago, Steve Bruce is running, felt like Steve Bruce is running that football team into the ground. Yeah, he did. And, and, and I think coming back to it, I think Eddie Howe, it was his first game, but I think he had COVID. So he actually couldn't be in the ground last season, if I remember rightly. Let me get Newcastle fans, correct me if I'm wrong. And so he was kind of, um, I think he might have been sort of conducting them, but he actually wasn't in the ground itself. So, um, so and, and, and he got that result. And then, he, then he sort of turned up for them after that. I mean, tell you something. I mean, we could talk about Newcastle till the cows come home but we will go over to one of our chums and we've got norm from the true faith podcast and he knows everything about newcastle so he, he's he's got quite a lot of info in newcastle so we thought instead of us banging on forever let's go up to norm see what he has to say we'll come back and then we'll talk a little bit more about newcastle hello brentford fans i'm norman Rayleigh. i work with the True Faith Newcastle United podcast and fanzine. You can find us online www.true-faith.co.uk or on Twitter at TFNUFC and you can find me at Norman G. Riley. If for whatever mad reason you want to give us a follow or give me a follow um, so I've been with True Faith for around five years now. Obviously, the last five years at Newcastle have been incredibly interesting. In terms of me being a fan, my first match was in 1986, a lovely 4-0 Boxing Day home defeat to Everton, who I believe that season went on to win the league. That was the Everton side of Paul Bracewell, Adrian Heath, Graham Shaw, Peter Reid, Neville Southall, Kevin Radcliffe, an outstanding side that actually won a cup and has cup to boot alongside the league twice in the 80s and a couple of FA Cups. Um, so... Newcastle, I mean, obviously, you know, I mentioned the last five years that I've been with True Faith. We've gone from the, for want of a better word, frugal ownership of Mike Ashley, the complete and utter lack of ambition, wanting to do everything as cheaply as possible, to the point where we were relegated twice under his ownership in 14 years. That was something that never happened before. In fact, previous to Mike Ashley arriving, we'd only been relegated twice in my whole history as a football club from the top flight into the second division, the championship, whatever you want to call it. Um, Mike Ashley really, it got to the point where, as a fan base, there was a feeling that we were just a bit of a zombie club. The stadium was dilapidated. The fact that he got in Rafa Benitez after years of a point in absolute no marks as managers, Steve McLaren being a particular lower point. He got Rafa Benitez in, and the reality is, I would say as a fan base, most of us were quite happy with how things were under Rafa, despite Ashley's lack of ambition. We knew that in Rafa's hands, at least we'd have a team that was put out that would compete, and we had a manager who wanted the very best for the club, regardless of the limited resources that he was given. Um, obviously, Rafa's ambitions extended beyond shopping in the basement and working for a man who ultimately was questioning Rafa's own abilities as a football manager by going out and purchasing players himself without any consultation with Rafa. And we then appointed Steve Bruce, an absolute disaster of an appointment which completely sucked the life out of many fans. In fact, many fans decided to walk away. 
I gave up my season ticket at that point. I couldn't cope with paying the club for a season ticket to go and watch the absolute turgid monstrosity that we had to put up with under Steve Bruce. And obviously, Bruce does have many friends in the media. So as a fan base, we got lots of stick asking us what did we expect. He's a good manager. A classic being he's a good family man. What relevance that bears to being a good football manager, I do not know. But obviously, subsequently, Bruce has gone on to West Brom where he is completely and utterly destroying that club as well. So it does kind of feel like a bit of a vindication. Um, and then the takeover happens, and regardless, I guess, of what your moral stance may be on it, it's deeply problematic for me in many respects, but at the same time, it's a football club that I love, so there is a conflict there. However, regardless of that, the fact is that we are now an incredibly ambitious club, and we've appointed in Eddie Howe a manager who I believe has the capacity to really take this club forward to actually win trophies with the club last season when he took over after the Wolves game as I say that's, that was a particular low point we lost away at the Wolves under Bruce and it was just doom and gloom Howe comes in the takeover happens Howe comes in and obviously his first game is a three-all draw at home to guess who Brentford a bit of a chaotic match but really what happened on the pitch kind of represented where the club was at in chaos and the work that the new ownership have done within only 12 months and the work that Howe's done has been frankly spectacular the purchases that we've made have been superb and last season ultimately to go from one win in 19 or one win in 20 games to be in the bottom three for the bulk of the season to end up finishing 11th with form that was only bettered by Liverpool and Man City over the last half of the season is is truly incredible and how is you know he deserves he deserves all the plaudits that was some spectacular achievement and in terms obviously of the division and the quality of Rivals, I think that you know last season when we started the season, we had an imbalanced squad, we had some very talented individuals, but we lacked strength in certain areas. However, you look at players like um, Alan San Maximin, you look at Callum Wilson, and you think there is there's a nucleus of good players there. You know, even Martin Dubravka and Goal was a decent goalkeeper, he's moved on now, obviously, but there was a decent nucleus of players in the additions that came in over the transfer window. Bruno Guimaraes, incredible player, Dan Byrne was a, an inspired signing, Matt Target alone, fantastic, and the one who really set the ball rolling was obviously Kieran Trippier, signing a world class fullback from Atletico Madrid, the current Spanish champions at the time, when you were bottom of the Premier League, really shows intent and it really, I guess, alerts other players to the fact that he has a club who must be going places because if they weren't, then why would Kieran Trippier sign for them? And at that point, you know, from that point onwards, really, we did once how found out the style that worked best for us, the 4-3-3 formation counter-attacking, and once the players bought into it, once he built up the confidence, we absolutely took off and ultimately... I think finishing above teams that all season looked way, way better than us was, was one heck of an achievement. Yourselves included, actually, to finish above you, given where we were in December compared to yourselves, was a superb achievement. You could bring Crystal Palace into that as well. They were having a decent season. We ended up finishing above them. So, all in all, a, a truly, truly spectacular season on many levels. Um, and how, you know, ultimately, how I would say at the time, personally, when he was appointed, there were various names being bandied around. Obviously, Rafa Benitez was at Everton at that point, but if Rafa had been available, I would have taken him back at the job I had because I, I, I loved the man. Um, Conte was a name that was bandied around as well, but he was never going to come because he wants to be in the Champions League as quick as possible. However, would I have taken Conte over Howe at the time? Of course I would, you know, based on the, the respective records. So Howe arrived at Newcastle. It wasn't necessarily a case of me thinking, oh, he's not good enough. It was a case of thinking, well, I think there are managers who are better out there, perhaps, or who've got more experience. And obviously Howe's last season at Bournemouth, you have to 
look at it and think, well, they did end up relegated. Very mitigating circumstances, and the fact that he kept home with a team with, you know, 11,000 fans in the Premier League for as long as he did was real testament to his character. But ultimately, the last, I guess, the last job on his CV was the one where he was relegated. So my concerns were there initially, but that disappeared within a week. It really did. The, uh, the, the impression he gave on the training ground, the noises coming out of the club from the players were just absolutely spectacular. And since then, he has gone from strength to strength. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think every single Newcastle fan you encounter would say the board and how there isn't one manager right now in world football. And I'm, I mean that wholeheartedly that I would rather have steering the helmet Newcastle United. He has done an incredible job and he will go on, I believe, to achieve great things. He is very, very much loved. And in terms of this season so far, it's been an interesting start with... Started the season playing wonderful football. If you look at our XG rate, I hate to bring these statistics in because I'm a bit old school. I'm in my 40s and all the new statistical analysis of the game. Whilst I find some of it fascinating, sometimes I think it can really detract from just the purity of the football itself on the pitch and the crack with you and your mates. When you start to focus too heavily on these intricacies, which can make it sound a bit... I hesitate to use the word nerdy because nerdy can be quite a positive word. It just can it, it can take away a bit of the, the debate and the fun, right? But ultimately, look, let's look at the stats in this case. The XG is incredible. We're starting to play possession-based football. We're dominating, we're dominating sides in terms of the possession. Obviously, you know, take away a couple of teams like Man City and Liverpool. But even then, you know, you look at the Liverpool game away, the only game we've lost this season... We really ought to have been tuning up in that game. I think Isak has a perfectly good goal disallowed by VAR. And despite the fact that Liverpool bettered our possession, we, I think, were relatively in control of that game and they got a winner after extra time had finished. Um, just one of those games where you think, God, Jurgen Klopp, as much as I like you on many levels, you can be a bit of a prick at times. Um, but I, you know, a great start against Nottingham Forest. The game we absolutely dominated. We walked over them. I mean, subsequently, Forest have turned out to be a pretty terrible side. But you know, a newly promoted side, the first game of the season, they've been out the top flight for a while. It can, it, it's a potential banana skin, and we negotiated it quite comfortably. Probably should have won by four or five goals. The other performances, Palace at home, you could argue we deserve to win. In fact, again, VAR hammered us a perfectly good goal disallowed in that game. The only games I think where we maybe haven't deserved a win are Brighton away and Bournemouth at home. Brighton away, we probably overall deserve to lose. Again, though, we have a goal disallowed that you could argue may have stood uh, without VAR. And Brighton are an excellent side. Obviously, Potter leaving may well impact on them, but the new lads come in. He seems to have some good ideas. It'll be interesting to see how he progresses. Bournemouth at home, that was a poor performance. There's no two ways about it. I mean, the game against West Ham away got cancelled because of the death of the Queen and we came back looking a little bit sluggish and Bournemouth did do a little bit of a number on us they worked us out and ultimately deserved a point but we then went to Fulham and we absolutely smacked them uh, many Brentford fans will be pleased obviously to to hear this uh, to, and obviously you'll know the scoreline I'm guessing it's pleased many of you given that Fulham I believe are your big rivals in that, in that part of London um, Fulham are getting plaudits Doing well, top six, I think they were at the time. We thought this would be a tough game, and we went there and we just dominated. Regardless of the sending off, it was actually much like the game against you a lot last season when, despite the fact you had a player sent off, 
I don't think that would have made any difference to the performance of the scoreline. I think we set out with great intent against you last season, and I think we looked like we would go on and win that game. And it was the same against Fulham. We started the game, and you're just thinking, we're going to win this. Callum Wilson hit the post very early on. Obviously, they get the man sent off, and we steamroll them. Um, but a happy, happy with the start. One defeat in eight. We are seventh in the table, as I record this. It's huge progress. You compare it to last season, it's huge progress. But what we are seeing on the pitch, what we're seeing on the training ground, the stories coming out of the club, I can't feel it be happy. The club is heading in one direction, and that is upward. And obviously, there's a transfer winner to come in January. And we are now a club that will strengthen in positions that we need to strengthen when the time comes. So there's Norm, and we're going to come back to Norm in a little bit, but we just thought we'd have a little bit of a breather and just talk about a, a few of the things there. Obviously, he's uh, very happy with how things are going at the moment, how things are panning out this season. I mean, you know, just talking about Newcastle as a team themselves, I mean, where their strengths are, their strengths, they're very strong at shooting from direct free kicks, which is something that we need to watch out for because we do give away a lot of free kicks in the wrong area, I would say. They're also very strong at attacking set pieces. They're strong at creating chances through through balls. They're strong at creating chances through individual skill. They're strong at creating chances through aerial duels as well. So they've got a lot of strengths. Where the weaknesses are, are finishing their scoring chances, stopping their opponents scoring or creating chances, defending against attacks down the wings and also avoiding offside. Um, like I said, they try to get through balls happening all the time. They control the game in our half. They attack through the middle. They attempt crosses often. They take a lot of shots. They like to keep hold of the ball. They rotate their first 11 and their opponents play aggressively against them normally. So that looks like it, we, we're going to have a lot, quite a lot on our plate, doesn't it, the Allard? Yeah, it does. I think they come at you from all sides, don't they? Um, I, I said Almir on and and to be honest, I could, yeah, he wasn't Newcastle before, wasn't he? He wasn't part. He'd been there for years, I think. Um, he wasn't part of the part of the um, the, the new regime since yeah, the new regime. I got that completely wrong. I just for some reason I associate him more with. I just think he's been good, look decent this season. Um, yeah, they come at you from all sides. Uh, I don't know if Sam Maximan's going to be fit or not. Um, it's it, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a sort of a he's an interesting player, isn't he? He's, he's kind of like got everything um, but at the same time it's sometimes hard to fit him into a into a into a really good team and he, he didn't play last weekend um, and they ha- must have had one of their best performances of the season I would think if they beat Fulham uh, 4-1 so yeah that I think it's going to be a full-on game you know I think it'll be absolutely end-to-end it'll be nothing like the Bournemouth game it'll be completely the opposite to the Bournemouth game and we're going to have to figure out how to cope with them definitely so listen let's go back to norm see what else he has to say about newcastle and then we'll come back and we'll have a little chat after that the transfer window itself i've mentioned the players that we brought in last january trippier being the standout and obviously bruno guimaraes is a player who i believe will go on to be world class i think if he's in that brazil team in the world cup and qatar people who haven't got their eyes open already will have them opened and obviously there are already rumours about a potential move to Real Madrid. They're sniffing around, which is understandable. You know, if Newcastle United don't get in the Champions League in the next two seasons, I would say, I would imagine someone like Bruno would be tempted to move on because this is a player who ought to be and who wants to be in the Champions League. So he's coming to Newcastle because we're an ambitious club, because he believes we can reach those levels. But if we don't, then of course there's always the danger of losing him. In terms of the transfer window just gone, Nick Pope, a sensational signing really for 10 million he's already proven to be 
probably the best keeper that I'll see at Newcastle United in my lifetime, and that's no exaggeration. His ability to, to not make saves, to not make saves because he, he patrols the sort of 30, 35-yard area of the pitch is spectacular. He doesn't need to make that many saves, but when he does, what he does really well is he uses his legs. I have never seen a goalkeeper make that many saves with his legs. He can get down quickly. He's huge, and he can get down really quickly and make those blocks with his legs, and obviously, he's very good at claiming crosses, and his distribution's fantastic as well. So, Martin Dubravka, very much loved by Newcastle United fans, but very indicative of where we were at the time. Dubravka was one of our best players. He was vital to the team. But the standard that we were at at the time, he stood out because he was that little bit better than the kind of mediocrity that he was surrounded by in general. However, Nick Pope's come in and you're talking a completely different level. So a great signing. And obviously, the signing of Sven Botman, huge, huge potential. The man is absolutely giant. He's incredibly comfortable on the ball and he's a huge threat in the air. You'll see that if you give away any corners and he starts the match, which I fully think he will, given his performance against Fulham away, then he's a real, real threat. You'll have to watch him closely, no doubt. And he's a man who I believe will go on to play for the Dutch national team, a player who could potentially make the World Cup squad. Just the comparisons of Van Dijk, obvious because they're both Dutch, but I just look at him as a centre-half who has something unique to offer, someone who you maybe can't compare to anyone else, and someone who in four or five years' time you'll be saying you'll be comparing other players to Sven Botman, basically. And finally, uh, Alexander Isak. He's come in. He did really well in Real Sociedad. He was excellent for Sweden in the Euros in 2021. He had a bit of a wobbly season in his last one at Sociedad, but the potential is huge. Massive fee. However, his debut against Liverpool, he was absolutely sensational. He played to his strengths, played the ball into his feet so he could turn, he could run onto it. Two brilliant finishes. Obviously, one, as I say, was disallowed, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, we're trying to figure out how to play with him. He's, he's injured at the minute, so whether he'll be back for this Brentford game, I don't know. It was a bit of a struggle against Bournemouth with him up top because, again, it's kind of adapting to how he plays. He's a, he's a tall lad, but he's very lean. He needs to pack on a bit of muscle and he probably needs work on the training ground to make him more effective in the year because he's just not effective in the year at all. And look, regardless of what style of football you play in the Premier League, even Man City keeping the ball on the ground as much as he can, you have to be effective in the year if you're a centre-forward at some point. Obviously, Haaland is a player who can do that, right? If Man City want to pump balls into the, into the box, they've got a player who can win crosses, uh, who can win, win the ball from crosses. Isak's not really at that stage at the moment, so there's work there to be done, but his potential is enormous. So overall, I mean, the last two windows have been absolutely sensational. And in terms of squad strength overall, look, Isak was brought in because basically Callum Wilson is very injury prone, but Callum Wilson, when he is fit, is absolutely sensational. You look at his record at Newcastle United, he's, he's averaged a goal almost every two games, and that is, you know, with a proviso of the fact that he's played in a terrible team for the first two seasons he was here under Steve Bruce, a team that created barely any chances, more or less relying on Alan San Maximin putting chances in to Callum Wilson. His finishing is, is quite frankly sensational and I think that if he could stay fit, if he'd stayed fit for the last few years, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind he would be second choice behind Harry Kane if not challenging him. That might sound like an exaggeration. I'm probably getting into sort of very subjective opinion here but he is that good and Ivan Tony, of course has had a great season um, this season so far, an excellent season last season called up the England squad, deservedly so but I do think that Wilson, right now, I would say, in terms of, you know, when they're on the pitch, I believe that Wilson's a better centre forward than Tony. Does Tony have the potential to surpass him? Of course he does. He's a young lad and he's doing brilliantly well. But right now, I genuinely believe that Callum Wilson is one of the best 
centre forwards I've seen at Newcastle, and by God, I've seen some. The problem is, as I say, he's he's very injury prone. Um, but Isak's been brought in, and hopefully, you know, every time Wilson's out, Isak can slot into that that number nine role basically, and. You know, you look at the way men, ESM's been out lately, he is on his day absolutely sensational. One player who has improved enormously under Eddie Howe is Miguel Almiron. Two great goals against Fulham, unluckily denied a hat-trick. He's a player who's been playing on the right-hand side of the pitch. There's been a lot of criticism. I've doubted he can do it because he's so weak on his right foot in terms of what he can do with it instinctively he can't whip it across him with it he'll always come back on his left always come back on his left a lot of fullbacks can work that out but he is still a very very good player and when he can get that ball on his left foot it can be magical as we saw against Fulham he's really coming into his own and he's clearly rated by Howe and if Howe rates him in that position then we as a fan base have to rate him the midfield you know the strength and depth there um Bruno Guimaraes, as I've already mentioned. John Joe Selvey's been out this season. He's a huge miss. I think he would be an important player in a game against a team such as yourselves. Sean Longstaff's starting to rediscover the form that he did under Rafa Benitez. Joe Linton, of course, has been converted into a midfield destroyer under Howe, and he's really progressed his career. Joe Willock, a player who is full of energy. He can skin players. He's come through that Arsenal academy, which has produced some wonderful talent over the years, and he's got that natural football and ability combined with that technical training that he's been brought up with, you know, from I mean, from basically being a kid, right, five or six years old as they're going to academies now, so there's another, he's a, he's a goal threat as well, so the, the strength there, and at the back, I mean, centre-halves wise, you know, the first choice centre-half pairing, really it, it's either a combination of Botman and Shea or Byrne and Shea, so you've got your left footer and your right footer, Byrne's been shifted out to left back uh, recent, in a couple of games this season with injuries to Matt Target and to be honest with you, he's performing well there, he again had years under Graham Potter at Brighton and it's inculcating him with you know, the, these abilities that maybe he wouldn't have got if he'd, I don't know let's say played for a manager like Sam Allardyce and he put him in as a big man at the back, right, he's a player who can play football so he can play at left back, we saw him do it at Brighton as a, as a wing back um, and at right back, we've got Kieran Trippier, who, when he's injured, you could argue that we're a little bit, we're a little bit lacking strength and depth there. Right, Emil Kraft came in last season, and after being much maligned, he really upped his game and was excellent. But ultimately, you're not going to four and a half million right back from. I think, you know, he could not, not barely not get in a game in France to being the man who's kind of supplanting a world class fullback. So there's a little bit of. Weakness, I would say, there, if I'm going to say there's a weakness anyway. Um, but overall, I think the squad's stronger than it has been for years, for years. And I do think that we will again strengthen at Christmas. And I'm absolutely confident we'll build on last season. Absolutely confident. I look at teams like West Ham and Leicester this season. I look at Crystal Palace, who I thought might kick on their struggle and have us a slightly... The, I think there's a, a really a group, and I include yourselves in this, a group of eight or nine teams in that league who I believe could actually finish as high as eighth. We're one of them. I think that we have the capacity, the squad depth, the squad talent, the managerial talent to finish eighth. And I wouldn't go beyond thinking that we can finish seventh and perhaps get in the Conference League. I genuinely feel that this the ambition of the club, the ambition of the players, the ambition of the manager is something that could lead us to finish as high as that this season. Put it this way, we'll definitely finish in the top 10. I'll say that right now. And that in itself is an improvement on last season. And what I'd also love to see and what I believe will happen is us to finish on more points. By that, I mean breaking the 50-point barrier, breaking 55 points again. That is a sign of progress. and means that we're heading in the right direction. Um, and in terms of, you know, players who you ought to be looking out for as Brentford fans, I've already mentioned the, the, the big names. You know, Bruno, you'll see... 
a dominant display by him. And knowing that Norgard is injured for you, I do feel that that midfield battleground is going to be absolutely key. And I feel that Bruno Guimaraes has the capacity to stamp his authority all over the game. If Sean Longstaff is starting, he can sit that little bit deeper which allows then Bruno and Willock the kind of space to use their talents. And with those two driving at you, it can be very difficult. So that'll be the key battleground. I would love to see that ESM is back, but it's been dragging on in a while now, so he may well not be. Otherwise, of course, he's always incredibly dangerous. But the man to look out for, really, is probably Callum Wilson, because... No matter what ball goes in the box, it might be a bad ball, it might be a fumble, it might be a stumble, it might be an outstanding cross. There's always a danger that Callum Wilson will get on the end of it. The man's finishing is fantastic, so I'd say he's the man to look out for. And of course, set pieces. If Matt Target starts, he can whip a good corner in. Kieran Trippier can obviously whip fantastic corners in. Trippier's very dangerous, as you're probably aware of, uh, from free kicks around sort of 25 yards out. So there are many players I think that you ought to be aware of. That's not saying that you can't cope them because you've got very good players yourselves. But if you're looking for danger in the Newcastle side, for once in my life, I can say there are probably four or five in the pitch that are capable of damaging any team in the league. Um, and going on to the wider Premier League, you know, in terms of who I think will be bottom four and bottom three this season, I think your top four, you know, Man City, 100%. I mean, they're going to cruise the league. Haaland is just... Beyond ridiculous. It's beyond ridiculous how talented he is. And obviously, you've got Kevin De Bruyne coming towards, I would say, the end of his peak years, but still at his peak, if you see what I mean. Um, so, Man City to win the league quite comfortably. I think Potter is working in a very strange situation under a chairman who seems a little bit off the handle. There is the potential for that to go disastrously wrong. I don't think it'll matter to Potter. I think he's in a very much a, a win-win situation at Chelsea, regardless of how it goes, because they don't really hold on to managers for more than two years. He might win a trophy. He'll walk away a very rich man. And he'll walk into another Premier League job because he's a good manager. Um, to say they'll finish in the top four, possibly. I think Arsenal are looking very, very exciting this season. They've got a great squad of players. Arteta knows what he's doing. It's taken him a while to move on from that legacy manager of Wenger, but they're really heading in the right direction. They'll finish top four. So that's Man City, Arsenal, Spurs under Conte. Conte is a superb manager. I believe they'll finish top four. And I'd say that fourth place will probably go to either Chelsea or Liverpool, although admittedly Klopp is really struggling at the minute. I'm getting very much latter days of Dortmund vibes from him there. But there's... There's five. There's the five teams who'll finish in the top four, right? Um, but Arsenal, Tottenham, and Man City definitely. And in the bottom three, very tough to say. Forest, hundred percent. I think. I mean, look, they're on the verge of sacking Steve Cooper. There's rumours that Rafa Benitez may come in. If Rafa comes in, it gives them a much better chance, I believe. However, they've just brought in far too many players. They've made the mistake that Fulham made the previous two times they came up. Not this time, but the previous two times they came up by basically replacing more or less the whole team that got them up in the first place, smashing that spirit that got them up and starting from scratch. It's a disastrous policy. I rate Cooper as a manager, but they've made mistakes. I think they'll get relegated. Wolves, I believe, will struggle. They just look weak all over the park, take out a couple of their key players and they don't really offer much. Whoever they bring in has got a job on their hands. Will they get relegated? Tough to say. Watching Fulham on Saturday, I do think they'll sink down the table. However, they've got points on the board at the moment that suggest, barring a disaster, they'll pick up enough between now and the end of the season to stay up. So it's another tough one. Um, Crystal Palace, I feel, will be sucked into a relegation zone, potentially, despite the fact they've got a, what I believe to be a good manager and good players. There's always that kind of danger of this momentum kind of dragging you in. Um, Leicester look like they're in trouble, but... 
I'm going to put Leeds alongside them. I think Marsh has got the right idea as to what he's doing, but I just don't think they've strengthened enough over the summer. And I think losing Phillips is absolutely huge for them, despite the fact he didn't play much last season. I mean, he didn't play much last season and the struggle, right? So I think Leeds may be down there. So if I had to pull him for three right now, I would go Bournemouth, Forest, Leeds. There we are. Might be completely wrong, but that's how I'm feeling right now. Um... And in terms, obviously, of our previous matches against you, um, last season, fantastic three goals. As I say, very chaotic. First game after the takeover, Ivan Tony scoring twice. You know, the, the script the script couldn't be written by the world's best you know, best minds. It was a, a madness. And the game down at your place, uh, I was lucky enough to, to be there. You know, obviously, limited tickets. Really enjoyed the new stadium. Not bad John Griffin Park, but it could be. It could be, and it will be, I'm sure. We comfortably beat you. We're in terrible form. You obviously picked up after that, right? I know that you had a, a series of injuries at the time. And those players came back, and you started getting the results again. But we, yeah, we got we got lucky when we played you, but I thought we did a, a very good number on you. And... Um, I really like how Frank sets you up. I really like Frank as a manager. He comes across as incredibly intelligent. He's always very well measured in what he says. And what I like about him is he doesn't make excuses. He never complains with that sort of bitterness that you get from certain managers when they complain. It's almost a case of, yep, this happened. It was our fault. Other things play an influence, but ultimately we move on and we learn from it. And I really like that with him, and it's obviously that he's, he's, he held, he's held in great regards by your Brentford fans. I like your style of play. I really rate Rico Henry. I think he's a wonderful player. Big fan of Damsgaard. Obviously, I know that he's had injury problems, but on his day, he's a, you know, he's a game winner. Um, Ivan Tony's done incredibly well for him, but my, my favourite player, I mean, yeah, your goalkeeper, Raya's fantastic as well, but my favourite player is uh, Mwemo. I absolutely love him. I love the... The, the appearance of him, the kind of socks down around his calves, the, the sort of shirt out, the even just just his look, he just looks, he just looks like an entertaining player, and he never stops crafting, and he's a, I think he's a real threat. If he learned, if he could, if he could finish better, I think he'd be an absolute gem of a player, an absolute world class player. But you know, as he is right now, I really enjoy him. I really enjoy watching him. So, and when I have to say is the Brentford player who I have a great deal of affection for. Um, in this particular game at St James's Park, look. We have to be confident. I have to be confident. I think that we have got the the home advantage. I think we'll get at you from the kickoff. I think that with Norgard being missing, as I say, we'll win that midfield battle. So I'm going to have to predict a tight game, but ultimately a Newcastle win. I spoke to Billy on a True Faith podcast a couple of nights ago, um, as you're listening to this, and I predicted 2-0. And I'm going to stick with that. And obviously, if that's not the case, if you get a draw or you win, then you are welcome to get in touch with me and just laugh, basically. That's fair enough. I can take it. I can take it. So, uh, ultimately, it's been lovely speaking with you all. I wish Brentford all the best for the rest of the season. Any of you fans travelling up to Newcastle, hope you have a cracking time. I'm sure you already were. It's a brilliant away trip. Some great pubs. Can't recommend highly enough the 4th or the Trent House or the Bodega. All pubs that I really love. The Crown Passard on the Quayside is another good one as well. And hopefully I will be down at Brentford later on in the season to see us play you at your place. Thanks ever so much now. All the best then. Bye. So that's Norm from True Faith Podcast. And I very much look forward to seeing Norm on Saturday. We're going to be meeting him midday. Like when that pub opens at midday, okay, we're going to be seeing him in the pub up in Newcastle as well. Looking forward to that. We should be all good. Sharing ourselves a pint before the game and after the game. Um... So this Newcastle game, uh, the Ellard, um, how do you see it panning out? I mean, we've talked about their strengths. 
we've talked about our side we've talked about the fact that you know you know defensively we kind of know where we're probably going to go this weekend you know Pontus is out you know Ben Mee is the main man you know whether or not you know Pinnock's going to be in or out we're not quite sure but maybe he might be midfield are we going to keep it the same you know who's going to be partnering up in midfield how do you see this one panning out I'm not even sure how, what system we're going to play, whether we're going to go to 3-5-2 again, because it, it seems to me that we play 4-3-3 um, against teams where we think we'll have more possession. And then maybe 3-5-2, certainly against the better teams, but then sometimes I also think that's because all the better teams generally play with three attackers, which I think is what Newcastle do. So maybe we go three at the back, but then you've got to say, right, is Pinnock ready to come straight in? Could you go Pinnock, Ben Mee? And Ayer is your back three, which for me, that's quite an exciting back three. I like the, I like the sound of that. But say Pinnock can't play, do, would you play Zanka as your as, as, as the middle of a of a back three and then Ayer and, and, and Ben me either side of him? Or do, you, or do you go to a back, do you stick with a back four? And I, I don't know. There's a lot of conundrums there that Thomas Frank needs to figure out. Um, and then, and then moving forward from that, I think Janelt plays. He's going to be the holding midfielder for the foreseeable future without Norgard. And then it's just a question of, you know, obviously, if, if it's four at the back, is it? It's either Hickey or Ayer, but they could both play if it's three at the back. Um, then Rika Henry's. I mean, it's a, it's a no-brainer. He's playing. And then you just have to figure out where the rest of them fit in. Um, there's a lot of, you know, does Zambumo need a rest at the moment? Um, I, I personally, I think keep him going. I, I, I think he's doing fine i mean he's you know yes his goal scoring has never been quite at the quite the level that everybody wants but he still looks like a massive handful for for, for opposition teams um and and i guess jensen starts i mean jensen's at the moment having a great season as far as i'm concerned and the question is is damsgaard because obviously damsgaard has come with real cotton you know we, we put him in cotton wool to start this season because he wasn't quite ready. We, we had to put, you know, get, get him to get weight. We had to get him to get game time. He had to understand the, the, the English game. And we brought him in and he's like a bit, a bit of a super sub coming on with sort of 15 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. But, you know, we're getting to the situation now where, you know, like, you know he is becoming a, um, a starter and he started against Bournemouth on Saturday. I mean, how did you think his contribution was on Saturday? Um, I, I, I covered it in the, in the post-match podcast, in that I, I think he's been he's, so far he's been asked to play when he started against Bournemouth. He was asked to play on the left, and I'm not really sure that he gives us width on the left because he drags him. He gets dragged inside quite a lot. Um, that's maybe a problem we've had with I don't know maybe since Ben Rama's left in terms of actually having proper width out on the left. So he's he's gonna either play there or maybe plays in a midfield three but I'm not sure you do that with Jensen so it's difficult really how you where you sort of fit him in I, I think that's a bigger problem he looks like a, I mean he's, he looks like a great player um, he's he creates he's got he's got skills he's, he's got natural touch he's got vision he knows what's going on around him all the time um, fitting him in is probably the biggest challenge and um, I think that needs a bit more work at the moment. That's right. So, I mean, just coming to the match, we're playing Newcastle Saturday. Big game for the Beast fans. Like I said to you, some leaving on Friday, some leaving on Saturday morning. Um, I mean, like I said, I'm going to go up there early. I'm up with Laney on a Friday night. So we're going to be uh, going to all sorts of places. We've got lined up, I think, on Friday night. How about yourself, uh, the LR? Are you looking forward to it? Because I don't think you were there last season, were you? No. And, um, and 
the problem this season is it fits around a, a birthday weekend, so I'm I'm not going to be there on. I'm, I'm you lot going to have to be cheering them on for me on Saturday. Oh. I did my well. It's you know everything going on with the trains and stuff like that. It's virtually impossible to do in a day. I'm not a massive fan of driving to games. I um, am you know carbon footprint and flying. Well, oh. that's a bit of an excuse. I, I I flew last time. I think I went to Newcastle. Oh. So I I won't be there this weekend. Oh, no. I'm, a, I'm I'm copping out. Yeah. Um, I I battled we we battled my way to Bournemouth last weekend with no trains <laughs> and, um, and stayed the night and yeah yeah I've got stuff going on this weekend and this was a you know a game that it just doesn't quite fit in unfortunately um, so you lot are just going to have to you know do it for me I've been there a few times over the years and I'm sure you'll enjoy the climb up the stairs to get to the um, the way in that's always you know that's always. I've been in training. I've been in training yeah, for that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, your, yeah. Lo- your local, your local, um, anywhere where you can find thirty flights of stairs to climb. You That's know, right. office block. Yeah. Um, yeah, get in there for a bit of practice. Yeah, go to Trillick Tower down in the Leverett yes, Grove or something yeah, like absolutely. that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's close to that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but listen, but I mean, I said, looking forward to the weekend. Loads of Beast fans going down. Like I said to you, loads of bars and pubs that we're going to be checking out. Like check out beside. You know, we might have a little bit of information as to where the, the people are going to be drinking. Also, listen to True Faith podcast as well, and, uh, and 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 a few of the other Newcastle podcasts as well, because they'll be giving lots of information for for fans as well to uh, to actually kind of be doing this stuff. So, um, but just coming back to the game at the weekend the Ellard um what are your thoughts on a score prediction it feels like a another two all three all I mean another three all is what I meant but you, you know two all something like that um I I think we'll be I think we'll be very very happy to escape with a point I would say um and it could well be have to be high score for us to to get a point that's right and I'm gonna go bonkers again and I'm gonna go for a three all draw I'm not quite, I can't even remember what I said on the True Faith podcast but they, they caught me on the hop that one but just looking back at it like I said to you a draw will be very happy with let's go for a three all draw a bonkers three all draw we'll all have a great weekend everyone will go watch the game and come back afterwards and a few beers afterwards and then enjoy themselves so anyway so listen this is the besotted pride of West London podcast Everybody have a safe journey up to Newcastle, however you're getting there. Hopefully you're going to get there safe. Hopefully you get there in time. Like you said to you, there are slight inconveniences due to the strikes, but we unfortunately just have to, we have to deal with that because these are the things that we have to deal with in our lives. But as football fans, we know how to deal with things which are out of our control and we will do that. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and write us a lovely review on iTunes or any other else. Just give us a nice review. Don't forget to buy us a beer if you want to. Besotted.com forward slash beer. Also, if you want to join Besotted Global, besotted.com forward slash global which is our little social media community so join that as well um but other than that i am very much looking forward to going up to newcastle and linking up with the newcastle posse up there as well having a few beers with all the characters out there and fingers crossed that the bees will be uh, doing the business i'm billy grant and i've got the yellard in the place yeah it just occurred to me if i was a suit bill i could just like click my fingers and appear there and then click my fingers and come home and that would have worked that would have done that's what i expected you to say but you went on some long-winded birthday nonsense Lee, i'm saying <laughs> which is which is all good so uh sue pallard will be there on saturday we'll see him in the boozer at midday because he'll click his fingers at 11:59, be in newcastle watch the game and he'll be back home for a cup of tea at quarter past five Fair play to you. And and hoping and hoping for no collateral damage. That's right, no collateral damage at all. Anyway, like I said to you, I'm Billy Grant. I've got the Allard in the house. Goodbye, see you later. Come on, you bees. Come on, you bees, as we say. I'm going to the newscast, I'm going to go up there on the training, we can beat the strikes, as we say. Come on, you bees. You bees.
away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.